Welcome to the 67th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with Will Lavender, author of the thriller novels Dominance and Obedience. Well, welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Will Lavender, author of the new thriller novel, Dominance, available in bookstores now. In describing Dominance, the best-selling writer Jeffrey Deaver wrote, Dominance soars to the top of the thriller genre by infusing its rapid-fire plot with the mysteries of literature and authorship. Will, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks so much for having me. Sure. Well, I wondered if, uh, at the beginning, if you could just read the first couple of paragraphs of your new novel, Dominance. Absolutely. Just after dark, they rolled in the television where the murderer would appear. It was placed at the front of the lecture hall, slightly off-center so the students in back could see. Two men wearing maintenance uniforms checked the satellite feed and the microphones, then disappeared as silently as they had come. It was now five minutes before the class was to begin, and everything was ready. This was the first class of its kind, and its novelty, or perhaps its mystery, made it the most talked about ever offered at Tiny Jasper College. As mandated by the school president, there were nine students in the classroom. They were the best of the best in the undergrad literature program in Jasper. Now, on the first night of the semester, they waited anxiously for their professor to emerge on the screen. Great. Well, if the listeners haven't heard of Dominance before, can you describe your new novel? Um, it's it's a uh, it's kind of a cross between The Silence of the Lambs and, uh, and Agatha Christie's, and then there were none. Um, it begins in this kind of strange classroom, and, and the professor is actually teaching from his prison cell um, via satellite, and so the students are watching him on the television screen. And what he's teaching them about is, is this um, uh, reclusive author named Paul Fallows, and he's trying to give them, uh, to give these nine students clues so that they can find Paul Fallows. He tells them that he's come upon some new information in prison. So he starts giving them these clues, and the students um, sort of, you know, take notes the way diligent students usually do, but then they find inside the notes that their professor is trying to literally lead them uh, to uh, Fallows himself. The novel jumps back and forth in time, and it, it moves into the present day, uh, and it follows these students, particularly one of them, Alex Shipley, who becomes a professor at Harvard. And uh, in, in the present day, the students begin being murdered one by one, uh, and so the students have to meet up back at their old uh, college, Jasper College in Vermont, and sort of figure out who is you know, committing these crimes. Um, so it uses this kind of locked room mystery. The students all return to Jasper, uh, you know, grown up, older, and um, they all sort of live in this big house uh, when they're at Jasper. And as the murders begin to happen, the reader begins to believe that it's probably someone inside the house, one of the students themselves who's committing the murder. So I was really trying to riff on this kind of like locked room puzzle mystery idea that, that Agatha Christie made uh, so popular. Sure, sure. Well, I, I'm curious. I, I know that some writers don't like the question about, you know, how did you get your ideas? But, but I'm curious if you, if you do remember um, how the, the 
uh, the original kind of premise for dominance came to you. And also there's a game that's a part of the novel called Procedure. And I wonder if you if you remember how you kind of came up with the idea for that game. Yeah, usually what I'll do when I, I'm, you know, sort of trying to come up with a novel, I usually drive around a lot. And or I, I watch a lot of late night television because there's a lot of debauchery and craziness on late night television, so you can get some really good ideas. I was watching television late one night, and I saw a story on uh, one of these forensic uh, shows, like Forensics Files or, or whatever it's called, and it was about a college professor who had been accused and convicted of of murder. And he interviewed this guy 10 years later, and he had seemingly been rehabilitated. He was talking to the reporters. He said, you know, I don't, I don't, I still believe I'm innocent, but I have turned a new leaf. I'm not the same person I was. I am uh, teaching classes at college, and one day I would love to teach actual classes via satellite from prison. And I thought, what a weird idea that is to have, you know, possibly a murderer, a convicted murderer, you know, on television teaching a class, so that's that's kind of how I I began. Usually, ideas will come to me in very small snippets, and I'll take that and sort of build this you know world around it. I don't know if that's normal for writers or abnormal or what. That's usually how I go about it. The procedure itself. Um, I was driving around listening to the radio, and I heard about a, a game that college students were playing called Zombies versus Humans, which is basically like a glorified game of tag, where some students will, will sort of make themselves up like zombies. Other students will play zombie hunters, and they chase each other across the campus. And I thought, that that's odd. But what if that game were really serious? What if it were not like a joke to students, but something that had these elaborate rules and added hierarchies, and people took it extremely seriously? What would it turn into? And so that's the procedure, which is an, an incredibly detailed and mysterious game that's great well dominance is a a thriller that celebrates books and literature and reading as you were working on dominance were there other books or authors that particularly inspired you um you know that's that's a tough question there are writers that i go back to um a lot for dominance um i realized when i got about 100 pages into it that i was using um, some ideas from Silence and Lamps. And if a reader gets into this, they will realize that that's the main sort of inspiration right away. I mean, you've got this heroine who has to call on her, on a mentor. The mentor figure is a little bit twisted, and he begins to lead her into solving the crime. So, I mean, that's right out of, you know, Clarice Starling, Hannibal Lecter right there. And I, I realized that if I were going to do something like that, if I were going to write sort of an homage, then I needed to read Silence of the Lambs because I never read it. <laughs> I'd, seen, I'd seen the movie, obviously, as most people have, but I had never read the novel, so I stopped. And I, I read the book, and it blew me away. I, I think it's one of the few thrillers that can stand up as, as true literature. I mean, it, it's it's uh, you know definitely one of the best I've ever read. Um, and I realized as I was reading it something else, that what I was doing was a little bit different. Uh, than Silence of the Lambs. I mean, he used the same kind of framework, but it, it had other ideas. And I thought, I can use this, sort of riff on it, but make it something completely different. So definitely Silence of the Lambs was a book I went back to and and used. Hopefully readers will not believe that I, I ripped it off, because I don't think that 
that I was necessarily doing that, but I was definitely uh, sending it up and paying tribute to it in some ways. Right, right. Uh, well, you mentioned earlier this this idea of kind of the locked room mystery, which is this classical kind of Agatha Christie and, and others as well mystery plot. But obviously, you're updating that classic form and making it very contemporary. What is it about that kind of classical form that appeals to you? Well, there, there are a couple of things about it. One of the one of the main things is that, and it's the reason that in both my novels I've used college campuses because I do not like writing with an outline. I, I like I like surprising myself as I write, I and mean, that's one of the reasons I write these kinds of books. See how far I can go, how far I can push the boundaries of the genre, and all that. But um, what 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 setting a novel on a campus does is it puts all the players into one small spot. You can't you can't have your the killer come in from the wings and say, Oh, this is it's you know, John did it, who I introduced back on page five. If you're on if you're in a on a campus setting, you know that you're in this sort of like closed in environment and and I've liked that and that's why I've gone back to it for with both my novels and with my third novel I'm working on now. I like the sort of small town environment that it creates. So a locked room mystery obviously does that, and it does that, you know, even more uh, intensely um, because all of the players are not only in one small geographic area, all the players in the locked room mystery are literally put in one place. And then when you do something like that, I think it allows you to sort of bring the reader in and make the reader an active part of figuring out who did it. Um, in a lot of mysteries, the reader is is active, but the reader is sort of using the clues that you know the writer sort of doles out at the writer's own leisure. In a locked room mystery, some things will happen that I think the reader can pick up on that the writer did not even intend. It becomes, I think, much more cerebral, much more active, and and I love that idea of the reader sitting there playing along you know, almost like turning the novel into sort of a board game a little bit. If you do that, you obviously run a risk of, of alienating the reader. Uh, and, you know, I think that my books are really not meant for everybody, maybe for that reason that the reader can feel manipulated a little bit. The mm-hmm. reader can feel like there's a little bit of a coldness going on. Um, but I've always enjoyed that, that sort of uh, interplay between writer and reader. Even when I was writing poetry, when I was uh, uh, getting my MFA, I, I, that's the reason I wrote poetry. I wanted the reader to kind of get in there and work with me to figure out what was going on, you know, how to, how to sort of interpret the, the, the poetry. I see these thrillers as sort of the same way, that I want the reader in there with me, trying to beat me to the punch, trying to figure out who the killer is before I reveal it. Right. That's interesting that you mentioned poetry, and and you know obviously you you have an MFA. I, I, I I'm I'm curious about your journey. I mean, how do you go from from an MFA and and writing poetry to to writing, uh, you know, best selling thriller, locked room puzzle books? What what was your what was your journey to uh, publication? You know, with your first book, uh, Obedience. Well, you know, I, the, the the way I've come to this is basically through reading. Um, I mean, I, I try to write, you know, what I would love to read. 
And when I got my MFA, and, and that, you know, I went to a place called Bard College, which is known as sort of an experimental school. And for a long time, for about five years in my 20s, I wrote only experimental stuff. And, and then I slowly moved into, into genre. And one of the reasons I moved into, into the genre, into writing mysteries, is because I started to read a lot of them. And I thought, I began to think as I read them, this is really clever. I mean, some of them are not clever, and some of them are, are not that great. But there are a lot of very good writers in this genre, I think, and a lot of writers who seem to me to be doing some experimental things. I mean, they weren't writing experimental literature, but they were experimenting with the, the conceits of mystery fiction. Um, you know, one of the first thrillers that I read when I got my MFA was um, called Closers by Michael Connolly. I mean, it's not one of Connolly's best books, but I read that, and it blew me away because of how plot-oriented it was, how he used the clues, how he sort of brought the reader through the paces of the book, how he used the readers to sort of, you know, to, to play a little game with, essentially. Uh, and I thought, how fascinating is this? And I started to read those kinds of books, and I thought, I can do this. You know, I can I can write this. I think all writers should probably write what, what burns them up, what sets them on fire, what they would really love to see on the shelf. And, you know, as experimental fiction sort of got, you know, if I would put that in the rear view, I began reading these new things, and they started to, to burn me up. And I thought, I, I want to do this. I want to write and do the kinds of things that these writers are doing. So essentially, what I do is just sort of a, a tribute to all the great writers that I love. And so what what was it like for you going from experimental fiction to, to writing obedience? Did you find that you had to to do several drafts? Um, did it come naturally to you? And then, and then what was it like? I assume that you, you found an agent and, and, and went from there. Can you talk about that a little? Yeah. I, you know, and writing obedience was, I wrote obedience in two months. Uh, and I, it took me two years to write dominance. So it was completely a different kind of thing. After I wrote obedience, I, I quit my job. My wife quit her job. I thought we're going to live, you know, fat and happy and, and it's going to be great. And I'm just going to write these books every two months, and I'm going to have 50 of them, and I'm just going to sell each. You know, you have these delusions of grandeur. And, of course, <laughs> it didn't turn out like that because the second book was so grueling to, to even conceive, and then the structure of it is so unusual. Um, but, uh, you know, I, when I started Obedience, I had, I had written a lot of poetry, and really I became a, a college professor for a couple of years, and I had, I had written very little of anything. And when I came to fiction, especially, you know, thriller fiction, it came really easily to me because it was almost like I had been wanting to tell this kind of story for a long time. And it just sort of, you know, just came out. I can't really explain the ease of, of that book. And I wish they were all uh, like that. Um, and what, so what, I, I wrote, what was that experience like? I mean, you said you wrote it in two months. I mean, that's... You know, for some people listening, that that may seem you know just amazing that it just it obviously came pouring out of you. Yeah, and it's amazing to me looking back because you know I, I've, I've you know dominance uh, like I said took two years. I'm working on the third one right now. That's taken you know about a year, uh, and you know so it is. It's an unusual thing, and, and I, I really like I said can't explain how it necessarily happened. I think it was just, and it's, you know, it's a novel that has a very straightforward structure. I think that's one thing. It's, it's 
not a tricky book in terms of how it moves. So I didn't have to conceive of flashbacks and how I was going to turn character, you know, make characters consistent from different time periods. Uh, it's a pretty linear book. So that helped a lot. Um, but yeah, I wish I could really put my finger on why and, you know, that, how that happened and I could bottle it and, you know, repeat <laughs> it again, again, but I really can't. But uh, getting the agent you asked about, um, I, you know, Laney Becker is my agent, and, and I, I just, it was kind of an old-fashioned thing. I, I got on the Internet, uh, found about 20 agents that took uh, electronic queries, and, and I I, uh, I queried and, and got my agent, and, you know, however long it took, six weeks, eight weeks. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, when I, when I wrote Obedience, I knew that I had something not good, because it's really, really difficult for a writer to call what what he or she writes good but I knew I had something unusual and that's always been you know what I'm going toward I, I you know I, I love cop books I love police procedurals I love private detective novels but I'm never going to write one because I don't know anything about that world I would have to do more research than, than would be worth you know the, the toil of writing it um, but uh, but I do I, I can use some of those conceits in there and and you know turn it into something that's my own and that's it's sort of unique enough uh, for me and so that's what I thought I had when I wrote obedience I thought this is a unique thing I don't know if it's good but I know it's different and I think that helped it uh, it helped me get an agent and helped it sell relatively fast. Great. Well, given your experience thus far with with um, your poetry writing and then, you know, as we've discussed, moving into more uh, commercial fiction with obedience and dominance, what tips or advice would you offer for aspiring writers who may be wanting to to write and publish their own novels? Well, you know, I, I, I've been asked this quite a few times, and I, I don't have anything different than what a lot of writers would say. But two things that I've all, that I always respond to when people ask uh, ask me this question is, is uh, you know, first, I think you you need to be have a thick skin and be willing to work past rejection because rejection is just part of of the business, as they say. Um, I mean, I got a, a, a really really bad rejection on my first novel. And it came at a kind of odd time because the agent had held it up a little bit and, it, and she sent me the rejection letter about the time the book was going to publishing houses in, uh, in, in New York. And it was a really, really scathing rejection. Um, and, you know, I, and I've received a few of those and I, and I think a lot of writers have. And it would be easy to just kind of uh, pack it all up and say, well, you know, if this person doesn't think I've got it, then, then I don't. Uh, but it's that's you know not the way uh, to success. I think the writer has to really have a thick skin and has to to believe in what they're doing uh, because writing is so uh, solitary. A lot of times we're not showing our stuff. Most times we're not showing our stuff to anybody. We're the only person that is is you know inside the work. And if we don't love what we do, nobody's going to. So you have to you have to believe in yourself. I mean, it's easier said than done, but I think writers, specialists, have to believe. And the second thing is, I think you need to read um, a lot. Read inside your genre, outside your genre. Read things that you would never, you know, think that you would enjoy. Um, read constantly um, and learn what other writers are doing. Um, you know, I think uh, influence is, is a major part of becoming a good writer. 
and not and using that influence and not shying away from it. Um, you know, I'm still to this day reading writers that I think, man, that's really interesting how she did that, how she moved one chapter to the next or, or whatever. And, uh, you know, I think writers need to, need to be willing to pick up those tricks and, and use them. Great. Well, you mentioned earlier you're working on your third novel. Can you can you talk about that at all? Yeah, it's called uh, the Descartes Circle, and it's uh, it's a little bit of a deviation from my first two books, but it's not a radical shift or anything like that. It's told in the first person, and it's about identical twins, uh, one good and one evil, and a uh, crime has occurred uh, in one of the twins' lives, and the reader has to figure out which twin did it. Um, and I, of course, you know, the Descartes, uh, circle Descartes comes from Rene Descartes, the philosophy of Descartes. I'm no expert on Descartes by any means, but I was interested in using, uh, some of his ideas, um, in the book. And it's been really interesting to sort of do a little research on him. Uh, but I really got the idea from reading this book over the summer, um, early in the summer called The Psychopath Test. Uh, had a real impact on me. John Ronson is the author of that, and it's about evil and sort of what constitutes evil. How how do you define it? How do you notice it in the world? And so the book is is about you know that in some ways, um, and I think it's just a fascinating you know uh, field of study. Uh, again, I'm no expert on it, but I have read quite a bit on it writing this book and have sort of been able to um, see how some writers define evil and what it is and what it's not. And uh, so that the book is, is kind of hinges on, on that main question, what is evil and does it exist? Well, your readers will have something to look forward to with your third novel. I hope so. Where can people find you online? Uh, I am uh, at Will Lavender. Dot com and my last name is L A V E N D E R. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Will Lavender, and um, I've got a, you know my Facebook fan page, Will Lavender, of course. Um, so I'm I'm online, definitely easy to find. I love talking to fans and, and meeting them, uh, you know, both both online and in the real world. So I'm out there, pretty easy to find. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Will Lavender, author of the new novel Dominus, available in bookstores now. Will, thanks for doing the interview. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to my latest podcast. If you have a chance, please leave a review of the podcast in iTunes. It only takes a moment. Until next time, read some good books and be well. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.